Okay, um, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to learn about different cultures and interact with people from different backgrounds. My name is Nusayari, and today I have another guest. Welcome, Jess. What's Oh, yeah, that's her tagline, by the way. I haven't said it in like two weeks. I have to get it on my system. Yeah, yeah, that's like her tagline, by the way. You know, welcome. When when they say Jess, she'll be like, what's pop? You know? <laughs> she, she wants to make it like, I hope you're going to trademark that whole thing. Man, we don't know. I don't know how Nigerian trade, uh, how to trademark things in Nigeria, how that, how that thing works. So. I think it's the... I'm not sure about like media trademarks, but mm-hmm. I know technology trademarks is the... What's that agency under the Ministry of Information? It's... I'll, I'll look it does up. It, does it function properly? Well, that I, people's I, I can't. I can't speak too much on that. Like okay. patent law is very dynamic, but right. it, it's worth a shot. Like if you do it now, and you know, three years down the line, you know, something happens. At least you can bring up you know, yeah. receipts. That, hey, three years ago, I did this, Funny so I deserve enough. something. Funny enough, so. I was looking to register my um, stage name. So funny enough, I was actually looking, inquiring how to uh, trademark my stage name, which is just Jess Finesse. Mm. And when I was asking about it, like the lawyer, the lawyer um, that I was asking this thing about, like she was saying how you can start the process, but it will take like forever for them to actually register the name. Where is it in Nigeria, in the US? In Nigeria. Uh, it, I think it's the same everywhere. Like trademarks and patents take a while because okay. they have to like do a search if you know you are infringing of any existing yeah, trademarks. Yeah. But if you file an application, that alone is like because that's sufficient enough. It's not sufficient, but in case of like any like litigation or whatever, mm-hmm. you can say that oh, you filed it already. this. Uh, and it's already in the system. Exactly. Even if it wasn't approved, you like, I filed it now. Right. And once you file it, like, it becomes like public knowledge. And someone right. else uses that exact whatever. You can, depends on how Makes good sense. your lawyer is. Makes, Makes sense. You can, you can do something. Okay. So um, I'm really honored to have Jessica here, to yeah, be honest. And why I say that, uh, I know that this podcast has listeners in a couple of countries. So anytime I interview someone from a different country, like, I tend to get some listeners from More that in- particular country. Okay. So, so but lately, like, I think most of my listeners now are like from a bunch of people from Pakistan. Natasha did an amazing episode. Okay. So a bunch of people from Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, That's uh, here in the U S uh, maybe like one or two people from Nigeria. No, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm really honored to have Jess here. And why I say that is Jess is uh, part of a podcast back home in Nigeria called loose talk. And Loose Talk is pretty much the biggest podcast out of Nigeria. Yes, if I if I might say so myself. I let all of you guys say it. I just I just I guess I it agree. Is. No, it is. It is. You know, in the back. Uh, Loose Talk is a podcast out of Nigeria. Uh, it's it was started by uh, someone called Osax and two other guys, AOT Two, Ayomide Tayo, and Steve Dede. And later, Osax left, and they had, like, two new additions. Uh, Jess is one of them, and Moni came in later. You uh, came at the same time, actually. Oh, you came at... Did you? Yeah. I think you're confusing me because she hasn't been on as many episodes as me. Oh, no, 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 no. Actually, because I'm, like, I'm a fan of Loose Talk. You can quiz me. I think you auditioned first. That's what it was. Okay. You know the problem? Nobody told me it was an audition. Everybody exactly. asked you, except me. Exactly. So, I guess I appeared... I came on first, and she came on. I yeah. came on again, and she came on. And what's funny is we were supposed to actually come on together, but our schedules never ma- matched up. 
Yeah, money so is uh, money, money never. I don't even know if she's in Nigeria right now. Uh, look, she she's always like hopping, and, which is not a bad thing. I'm all. just saying, and you know, she she's always she's always like what? Like I bet she's always like the last one to come right during the recording. I won't do that because there's times when I'll be the last person, but like. But most times, like um, okay, maybe okay, we like tell you yeah, tell you our tardiness. Maybe she has like like one or two up, more, one or two more than me. But like, no, I'd be coming late as well. Though. Yeah, Jess yeah. is trying to be PC. Blah blah. blah. I see. Anywhere I go, anywhere I go. <laughs> but it's all good. So yeah, loose talk. Um, to be honest, is one of the reasons why I started this. That's crazy. Um, so we're just talking before the podcast, and I was just telling Jess how a year before I came to the US, I spent a year living in Ekiti. Uh, which is like a state in southwestern Nigeria, mm-hmm. a really small state mm-hmm. there. And it's not as developed as m- most of the major cities in Nigeria. So what I used to do, and I had no TV, right? I haven't watched the TV at home in like, what, a couple of years now. So you didn't have a TV in a kitty by choice, not by circumstance. Okay, so I had a TV. I, I didn't have a TV for a couple of months because most of my properties were in Lagos. Okay. So the way I moved from Lagos to Ekiti was kind of like a draft, like a transfer, like right. how they do in sports. Like, yeah. they need you over here, go. go. So I just, like, packed a bag and just went. And yeah. I lived there like that for, like, the first few months. And later I came back to Lagos to move my things. Mm-hmm. And I moved my TV. But I never really, like, plugged it in right. Right. or anything like that. So I was kind of, like, surviving off, like, YouTube okay. and podcasts. So I was, like, listening to podcasts like Rap Raider, Brilliant Idiots, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. And because those podcasts... Um, were being listened to by Osags and them. Also, mm-hmm. I stumbled on Loose Talk. That's crazy. And you know, com- you know, it, it coincided with the whole Ik Chuku Terry the Rap Man thing, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is an old episode. And long story short, you guys were one of the podcasts that inspired me to start this podcast. That's sick. So having you here That's is kind of like That's sick. Yeah, having you here is kind of like I don't know what artists do you like. Um. I like Beyonce. Uh, I don't know. Rihanna. Rihanna. Okay, yeah. just imagine like Rihanna walked into your bedroom yeah! one morning. <laughs> exactly. Steve, Steve, um, uh, I money. I hope you're listening to this podcast when it drops because our guys, our guys, housing me today. Yeah, we're yeah. Today on I mean, we're trying, we're trying. I'm, I'm such a fan to be honest. Like every Monday morning, mm-hmm. when you guys post late, because. When, so I'm just coming off my MBA, right? Yeah. And when I go to school on Monday, like, I, I listen to you guys during my commutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes, like, the episodes are posted late, and it, it, it comes on, like, just when I'm about to get into class. And I have to, like, oh. stay out for the first 10 minutes, like, get the first 10 minutes of podcast and go into class. <laughs> and I come out. Just goes to show, you know, the influence yeah, you guys have. So, but, I appreciate that. Listen. Yeah, yeah. So welcome, ma'am. How was your trip? Uh, how long have you been in the U.S.? Hmm, okay. Okay, before we even start, right? How many minutes... Are your parts? Let me know how much I should talk. Look, it doesn't matter. Uh, the podcast is usually like under an hour. So under an hour? Okay. Episodes are like between 15 minutes to an hour, but we can talk, man. I don't mind releasing like a part one, two, three. Hey, <laughs> at least you know how you, you've so, experienced me before I came. Look, let's go. Okay. To God be the glory. We'll All do right. it in Hollywood style. Man, let's do it. <laughs> um, okay, so I don't know if you listened to the pod called... A dash B dash E. Yeah, that's the most recent, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the first part where I wasn't on, right? Because I was traveling, Mm -hmm. and they briefly talked about my little issue at the airport. Oh yeah, the one fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You even know the amount. See, that one fifty is a very significant amount. I mean, let's no. Let me leave you to say the story for for others. Yeah. So they didn't. They didn't really go in depth, and I mean, they couldn't because I didn't really go in depth. But basically, I was traveling in the morning. Um. I'm a very, I'm usually a very organized and very thorough person, but like one, you know, two times, I guess, like 
I just slip through the cracks and I'm not as on my T's and I's like as I usually am. I'm sorry, just for context, you are leaving, um, leaving Lagos, Lagos, Nigeria to, to fly to the US. US. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. So, you know, you be entering the Lagos airport, the God-blessed Mutala Mohammed International Airport, and by the time you get from where you're checking your bag to, like, where you're going to take off your shoes and put your stuff on the conveyor belt for security, some people have asked you for anything for boys. Do you want to buy me breakfast? Mm. Um, I know you're Do you want to buy me? When I came, I was like, you know, where's my breakfast? I looked at her like, I haven't eaten. Like, I'm fasting. You should fast, too. Like, I don't uh, understand. Goodness. So, I had finished, like, going through five different types of but the airport workers, like, them asking for money, and I was like, yeah, I don't have. Okay. Meanwhile, I had, like, Naira in my pocket, but I didn't even remember anything about dollars. And Naira is a local Nigerian currency. It's a local Nigerian currency. Okay. So, I was, you know, doing, handing my passport, they look at it, do the necessary stamps, all that stuff. So, this is, like, I guess you would call it the customs part of where you fill out your departure card, you hand it to someone, then you now step over for someone to now stamp it. Wait, I, do, they, do they do that upon departure, or is it just approach. arrival? It's a, it's a, well, I think, yeah, they do the, the um, upon departure. Oh, really? Yeah, so I guess it's, I don't know what they, I don't even remember what they ask on that thing, but I know every time I travel out of the country, I'm filling up that, it's like a yellow or white card or something. Oh, okay, yeah. I know, yeah, I so I gave it to the first person, they looked at it, you know, did whatever signature, they asked me for a bribe, I, I didn't have, I said, I said I'm not giving, or like, oh, my auntie, I don't have anything, you know, the whole thing. Meanwhile, I had Naira. Okay. Now, step over to go get it stamped. So I step over to get it stamped by a customs official, right? This okay. is somebody that has like name badge, everything. The lady before him, wore did, yes, this one, the lady before him had moth. Well, let me not say moth. Um, normal clothes. Yeah. Right. So you won't know if plain she's official, clothes, plain clothes, right? Official. Mm-hmm. So I give the guy my passport, and I'm very respectful, bro. Like no one can ever say I'm not respectful to. Okay, anyone. so I'm about to ask an important question. I'm sorry for cutting you short. Ahead, no, come what here. passport did you hand over? A blue okay. or green passport? I handed over. My green passport. Right? Okay. I had the I had the white one. I had the American one in my hand. Okay. Now, even though I handed the green passport, my green passport sh- says was done in America. Was done in DC. Okay. Now, like I don't think that's something that they look at. I don't know, but I handed him the passport. So you know, I have my passport in a passport cape, like cover, right? Okay. So you don't know the color to I open it. You no the co- the cover is like green. No, the cover is green. It's like an Nigerian passport replica passport cover so it's like okay. redundant but i have a nigerian passport cover on top of a nigerian passport okay now i forgot that i left my two bank of america cards in that behind the flap of that passport mm, one right? i know <laughs> let me I, I didn't, okay let me just finish i i didn't i didn't even remember i left it there right mm. so he opens up the passport to like remove the book out of the cover and i'm like why are you doing that like i the passport page is already open what you need to stamp is already open why are you now removing the passport from the passport cover so when he did that, right, I saw things fall off in the past. I said, oh, snap, mm-hmm. that's my bank card. And then... Do you use your BOA card in Nigeria? No, I only okay. use it okay. when I'm making international per- like purchases online. Online, I don't gotcha. use it. I don't okay. swipe it at all. Okay, cool. Um, so, so so when I saw these cards drop, right, I said, what? I now looked over. I didn't even go like this. I didn't even look over, like, obnoxiously. I just glanced over. This man had, like, something in his hand, right? I knew it was money. I knew it was money. It was folded, right? Okay. And he was holding it in his crotch. And I looked. I said, "That is my dollar." It was holding it in his crotch. Like he had it in his in his in his um in his lap, okay. and he tried to like push it under his his. Was there a desk? He was sitting. There's a desk. Okay. So I'm standing. I'm the traveler. I'm on the outside of the desk. He's sitting behind the desk. The desk is elevated, right? So he had this thing in his in his uh, hand. It's like he used that to put it. I don't know why he was trying to like 
maybe he was putting it under his crotch to like maybe hide it more in his fist so you won't see anything. But I saw like the tip of folded money in his thing. Okay. He put this joint in his pocket. I looked at this thing and I said, no, 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 no. This is not happening. Like, I don't understand. What, what is this? Like, I'm here thinking, okay, you're in the airport. This thing drops. The common courtesy would be like, oh, your stuff dropped. Because when my car's dropped, right? He was yeah. like, oh, hold on. I'll get it for you. But he was pausing to put the thing in his pocket, his pocket. Before, he now, he, before he now brought the card out. So I said, uncle, please. I, really I saw <laughs> I didn't even try to, I said, sir, please. I saw you put something in your pocket that is mine. Now there you fuck up. <laughs> you know, you know, at this You're point, like, sir, please. No, but it's Now there you fuck up. I'm not somebody. Where's like, money when you need her? Huh? Where's money? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know how to change it for nobody in no official setting. In my brain, I'm like, yeah. I was asked, I said, please. So I won't even call him. Please just, I saw you put that in your pocket. Just bring it up. This man said, what kind of insult are you insulting? Like, are you, are you stupid? What kind of, what, 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 what do I have anything to do with your documents? I knew it was money because he kept, every time I would say, can you please bring back the money? He'll be like, I don't have anything doing with Oh, you even repeated it like multiple times. <laughs> and he kept saying document. So he knew I was gotcha. talking about money. So gotcha. he said, you're an idiot that if I check my pocket, I don't see any of your document in my pocket. I will slap you. Oh, he threatened you. Bro, this the government is, official threatened you at the airport. This was okay. right after, this was the day after that senator beat up that girl in the Abuja sex shop. I said, yeah. you know, I don't put nothing past nobody. He might try to lunge at me. I don't know. My flight, like I was already running like close to the boarding gate closing time. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I was like, one, who am I about to go and complain to? The five other officers that asked me for money that I didn't give them. Mm-hmm. Is it that, are they going to come to my aid now that someone has collected dollars? They've all hammered. Because they can probably go and like share the money when I leave. I don't know. And when, and when she said they've all hammered, she, she didn't mean that they were drinking. Oh, yeah. Like, oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to be doing a lot of interpreting. I'm going to be doing a lot of translation during this episode because we have listeners from a whole bunch of places. Although I have a feeling that, you know, a bunch of Nigerians with this episode because Jess, like, has that draw. See, this talk is going to pull up for this episode. Yeah, so Jess kind of, like, has that draw. So she'll probably, like, get a lot of Nigerian listeners. So um, just to put it in context, so Jessica is has nigerian parents but she was born in the united states so she holds dual citizenship from both nigeria right. and the u.s right. and like a lot of people like i have a lot of indian friends mm-hmm. i have a lot of friends you know who are here whose parents also emigrated to the u.s mm-hmm. and were born here they kind of like face the same um sure. instances or struggle like my friend you know when he was flying back to uh, Delhi, mm-hmm. and you know, he had to call his uncle at the airport because mm-hmm. they have this thing in India where people like keep spaces, like mm-hmm. you pay someone to be on the line for you. Really? And yeah, and it's a whole racket because people now it's not being like pay someone to be on the line once. People mm-hmm. kind of like kind of like buying out seats and reselling oh, in a stadium. So people like so you can true. be on the line for like ten months, and people are reselling the spaces they kept on the line. So he had to like, but because he was born in the US, he wasn't like really familiar with things like that. So that's how just kind of like has that background right yeah. so but she made the conscious decision to go back to nigeria uh, and to live in nigeria on her own like about a year and a half ago so that's why i have on the podcast now it's called culture class and both of us are um from nigeria yeah. but um unlike me uh that you know came over for school i was baked in nigeria and came over to the u.s to be sold yeah. jess was baked in the u.s and went to the nigeria market so what this is you're the one sell. translating for me now but see the irony you're the one translating me when i have to like when i come and slip in a little bit of nigerian slang it's like 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's good. It's a good yeah. thing. It shows that, hey, you're, you're getting yeah. immersed in the culture. They don't, they don't believe me that I can go to the market. No, no, no yeah, you're getting immersed in the culture. I'm, I'm even reading your evil accent. It's coming out. It's coming awesome. out. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm very sorry, you know, that happened to yeah. you at the airport. But look, you know, Nigeria is a place that sometimes uh, there's a saying uh, we had, you know, back in the University of Benin. Everyone is cool, but if you do anyhow, you'll see anyhow. That's like, I accept it. I can't if, if, if you, you, you kind of like, there's another saying like in Benin, in Benin cities, like a city in Southern Nigeria, like many are mad, but few are rooming. Wow. I've heard that, but I never really understood the context of it. Yeah. I mean, you can be cool and all, but sometimes yeah. you just have to like bring out that animal to make, make people like know that you mean business and whatever. And I can relate to that story because me too, coming to the U.S. for the first time, first time I came on vacation, like three, four years ago. Uh, the person in front of me was like, he had a blue passport. Yeah. So, but it was Nigerian, but he had an yeah. American passport. I was just trying to advise me, well, don't tell them that this is your first time or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. I like, no problem. When they opened up my, my bag and they saw like Egusi and some other stuff, I was bringing yeah. some stuff for my sister. They knew that, oh, let's never mess with this guy. So this guy will be like, so they kind of like size <laughs> you up, <laughs> which is a lot. Yeah. That happens also in Jamaica and a whole bunch of places. But anyway, yeah, here now. Yep. It's a learning experience, it's I guess. Experience. So if you go back home and you're landing in yeah. Lagos, the, there's nothing you know like to home. take off your wig I'm, and like scatter I'm, everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about Loose Talk. So sure. given that you're representing Loose Talk here physically now yeah. and yeah. the other three hosts are representing like spiritually, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to know, you know, I've always said that if I go back to Nigeria, when I go back to Nigeria, like the first place I'm going to go to is the Paul Studios. To just like get some drinks or something for the cast. Just, yeah. hey, you guys, I've been doing a good job. Yeah. When you guys were talking about your equipment and needing more equipment, I actually like wanted to like see if I could get one or two things on Amazon, but something happened and I just turned broke that week. So it's like, the thought that comes. I'm like, yeah, it's a thought that comes. So, hey, Abby and guys, I wanted to get you guys one or two mics uh, and but unfortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah, you know people are lining up to say that they want to help us get mics. By the time all of you get money and get that mic, we'll have abundance of mic in the studio. And we can get something else. I can get you guys like a mixer. Uh, what's the setup like? Like, how do you guys coordinate uh, four people hosting um, a podcast weekly? So we have um, a variation of mics like this, but they're wireless. Like so when you say mics. mics like this, I'm using like a... But this is like a dynamic mic, a normal mic, right? So like, yeah. So I think this is a handheld mic, and it's on a, it's on a tripod, like some type of tripod thing, right? Mm-hmm. So we have that, and then we have like um the uh wired, what do you call this mic? The pinup mic. The lapel mic. The lapel mic. Yes. Gotcha. I always, always, always. After they played me the first time I was ever on Loose Talk, I had a lapel mic, and that episode I did not hear myself. I don't know how people thought I was a good person. I didn't hear what I said, and I had okay. a lapel mic. We heard you. From that, well, you know, we shout out to you. Mm-hmm. When I when I was now brought in full time, I was like, yo, I'm using a standard uh, handheld wireless mic. I'm not using lapel. Oh, so you hold it throughout the episode? No, or? so it's on a, it's on a standing micro. It's on a microphone stand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but wait, don't you guys have like a couch or something? So we have a couch, and then we have like I call it like a bar stool. We have like a combination of couches. Like the, there's a two seater or three seater couch. Okay. Then we have like two um, single cedar couches okay and then we have like bar stools i always run the bar stool okay, okay. yeah as a don that you are now i don't do it don't I mean, dada. See, <laughs> you said it, not me. um gotcha. but yeah so either 
we're going, we're balancing between um, no, the standing mics and then the lapel mics. Okay. Sometimes when IO's sound don't be like A1, I personally accredit to the, the lapel mic thing, but when he's on his microphone stand and his um and the handheld mic, yeah. he's I feel like his quality is better, but better. it's just a bounce between the two types of Preach, preach. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think there's something to that because um, when I was like hustling and trying to like get the right mic also, mm-hmm. it's not like this is the best, this is what I can afford. Okay. Uh, I tried the lapel mic for one or two episodes, but it, it like skips once in a while. That's because it doesn't like use like an XLR cable, but like, I had to get mics that have right. like an XLR cable. Right. I'm sorry, I'm getting too technical. I'm, hey, I mean, this is interesting. Actually. I'm literally like asking all these questions because I'm like a fan of the show. Yeah, it's just like away, you meeting Rihanna and asking her what state of mind was she when she was recording. This is Rihanna, you're, this, <laughs> I was just calling this girl now. That's no, seriously, I was like, look, I was like, man, I was calling my brother yesterday. I look, Jess is coming. Just like, what, what do you think I need, should, need to do? Like, <laughs> I was up like researching Jess and everything. I was like, look, Damn. I was checking out like Medium, checking Instagram, checking Twitter, checking like past episodes, yeah. checking ladies' room. I was like, look, how exactly am I gonna like? Will I even be able to talk? Like, I don't know. Jess is coming, but I don't know. No, I'm chill, man. I promise you, I'm chill. I mean, you look chill. You think good? Okay, so let's talk about a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's uh, put Jess to the side a okay. little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's put Jess finesse to the side mm-hmm. a little bit and talk about Jessica. Yes. Let's go. Jessica Chiboise. Yes, sir. Born in the U.S. Yes, sir. I don't know, 45 years ago. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But you were born in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, how was it like growing up? I know you have a brother. Uh, I actually have three. Okay, gotcha. So you are the only girl. Yes. I have three brothers. Yes, sir. And of course, uh, we've had all the stereotypes about Nigerian parents, but yeah. how was it like for you specifically? Where were you born? Okay. And what were the like fun memories growing up to mm-hmm. immigrant, immigrant parents mm-hmm. and Nigerian parents uh, growing up? Okay. Um, so I was born and raised in Virginia. So DMV, I'm part of the V part. Whenever you hear me or Moni talking about that on the pod, mm-hmm. um, I was born and raised in a predominantly white neighborhood. The, the, where in Virginia? Okay. So I was born in a city called Fairfax, but, like, our family house is in Woodbridge. Oh, that's Virginia. big. Fairfax is basically D.C., right? Is that, see, is that I mean, it's still on the red line. It's, like, basically... Yeah, I think... The, the, does it run to Fairfax? Line, I'm not sure. Orange line. Because I, I, I went to know. George Mason University, and, like, whenever I'd go to D.C., uh, it's always Orange Line. That, wait, you went to George Mason? I went to George Mason. When did you graduate? 2015. What did you study? Um, so I majored in international studies and then I double minored in nonprofit studies. Oh, okay. Cool. Oh, so you actually studied about nonprofit. Okay. Oh, we'll get I, to the humanitarian side worry. like later in no the episode. Problem. I'm about to study. I actually went to school with someone who went to George Mason also, but I think she studied economics, Giselle, okay. Okay. Giselle Sarita. Hmm. Uh, she's, uh, she's 2015, I think, 2015, 16, okay. but she studied economics. So you guys might gotcha. not have like cross gotcha. paths. Gotcha. But, gotcha. but you're born in Fairfax, you were saying. Born in Fairfax, but our house, so raised in Woodbridge, right? Woodbridge. Predominantly, I live in the suburbs. I'm a suburban babe. Like, it's even confusing going from the quiet suburbs of a Woodbridge to, like, moving to the hustle and bustle of Lagos. Okay. Predominantly white neighborhood. Mm. Um, Like, you know, two-parent household. Like, the standard, I guess, when, year when my father set, like, they all migrated to America and they, you know, worked their odd jobs and then started, were going to school, graduated with their master's, entered into the first job, built themselves up, married their, you know, their wives, either in America or in Nigeria. The only thing that married in Nigeria, because my dad married my mom in Nigeria and then brought her to America. 
bore me, bore my um, brothers and had this like ideal, I guess, Nigerian family dynamic, mm-hmm. and, like lifestyle here. Mm-hmm. Um, so although I always, I've said this on the podcast on Loose Talk, I, American culture was my primary culture. And then I was fed Nigerian culture. So it's because like, you were born here, right? I was born so, here. so yeah. that is, is, is natural for that to be my primary culture. It right? is natural. But yeah. then I was exposed to the food from a young age. Like I knew all the Igbo food. I'm Igbo. So I, and Igbo like is one of the major tribes in Nigeria. Exactly. Right? So I'm from Igbo state. So all the Igbo food, I knew all of it. I mean, I was introduced to Nollywood from young. I'm talking about like Igbo high life from young. So it wasn't, gotcha. it was like I was exposed to all these um, various sectors of Nigerian culture. But then it wasn't, but those are like the, I don't want to call it, flip. I mean, food and like music and stuff, I guess that's fundamental, but knowing how our people think and act and behave and stuff, I don't think I got that because my parents were Americanized Nigerians. Okay. Most of my aunties and uncles that lived in um, America were somewhat Americanized. They would okay. speak Igbo to themselves, but they never okay. taught me Igbo. So I never knew my language. Um, you know, we'd go to like, I don't know if you guys have this in Nigeria, they'll have like, um like all these clubs and like meetings where every month, like all the, you know, Nigerian women in that, you know, Virginia area mm-hmm. would come and mm-hmm. we, they'd have part like end of the year parties and Christmas parties and fundraisers and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. So I experienced all that. Okay. So it wasn't all like, the power up and everything. Exactly. So it yeah. wasn't like Nigeria. Especially in Virginia. Isn't it in Virginia where they have the Igbo village? Is that Virginia? I most of the <clears throat> Africans in Nigeria, Nigerians are not even a dominant uh, African population in Virginia. Are you kidding? Are you joking? It's Ghanians. No, I I disagree. I disagree. I know you grew up in Nigeria. Well, let me not say Virginia. Let me say DMV. Okay. Yeah, let's say DMV. Let's say DMV. Because then if you want to, if you want to like classify them now, Mm -hmm. you will see Nigerians in DC. You'll see Nigerians in Maryland, right? Yeah. You see them everywhere in PG. You see them um, in all the different counties of of Maryland, right? Mm -hmm. In DC is the same thing, right? In Virginia, I did not have Nigerian friends until I started coming to Maryland. And when I was in Virginia, all my friends were Ghanaian and Sierra Leonean and Ethiopian. Ethiopian. So yeah. Ethiopian has a very predominant uh, population in the DMV area yeah. also. But maybe because of part of Virginia, I don't really know much about Fairfax. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe, like you said, you grew up in a white neighborhood yeah. and things like that. So, okay, so what you're trying to say is that you grew up here. Yeah. You were exposed to the American culture first. Yes, but your, your parents kind of like made sure... Uh, to like make you aware of your own culture exactly. growing up, kind of like how most immigrant families do. It's the same with the Asians mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, make sure that they can speak Mandarin. You know, um, have um, partake in all the festivals mm-hmm. and New Years. You know, mm-hmm. in things in Chinatown, things like that. So you're exposed to that, but even that was not enough to prepare you no. for the expectations in Nigeria. That means you didn't have any interaction. You didn't have too many interactions with Nigerians back home okay so my interaction with nigerians back home would be that the first time i ever went to nigeria i was one i went with my father obviously i didn't remember what what happened um the second time i went to nigeria i was nine and that's because my parents were doing their white wedding so my parents were traditionally married for a very long time gotcha and then in 2001 they did the whole like white church wedding situation back home you know, that's one, that's one thing. I'm sorry to cut you short, yeah, but that's yeah. one thing I even want to talk about. Like, what's the deal with like? So in Nigeria, we have a thing like most people when they get married, they get married twice. Yes, it's like they have the so-called traditional wedding, mm-hmm. and they also have the white wedding. Right? Why do we have to have two weddings? Like, why can't we just have one? Like, either or, just settle and pick. Like, the wedding is for the bride and the groom. Must is it for 
Okay. It's kind of like you're, you're appeasing the church and whatever with the white wedding and appeasing like your parents and the elders with the traditional wedding. I wouldn't even What's say appeasing your parents. I think it's fulfilling um, cultural and traditional obligation. Then why not just have one wedding? Have the cultural wedding and color wrap. Like, because when I look at like some South African weddings, mm-hmm. like it's purely like traditional and they're married. And when like Priyanka Chopra was getting married to Nick mm-hmm. Jonas, it was like mostly traditional, right. purely traditional. Everybody right. went on for like multiple days right. and they were married. So I don't know, like that whole thing of like having two weddings. I'm not saying you should have just the white wedding or mm-hmm. just the mm-hmm. traditional wedding. Mm-hmm. But I always wonder why don't you just pick one? Well, I don't. Um, well, I, don't I think I think for me it's this concept of wanting, like as Western as Africans, um, I don't want to say try to become, but as Western as Africans become, they don't fully like neglect their own culture. So you can follow all the processes of what the like. Uh, the white man's Christianity or like, you know, fulfill our righteousness doing church wedding and, you know, doing this, or you have to be legally married, um, court wedding so that you can be, uh, recognized as like a married couple and stuff, but they would never forego their tradition and culture. So I and think why they just make it all about tradition and culture. Why just because I mean, does America, um, recognize traditional, like if you'd say you got traditionally married in, in Nigeria and you come to America and you're not, uh, Either court married or like uh, church married, will they recognize your marriage? If we make it, if the society agrees, it, they will. I understand where you're coming from, mm-hmm. right? Um, if the society like comes together and says that, oh, you know, we'll recognize the government, recognizes, because it's the so people you're, that you're make asking, up. You're asking American society to recognize. No, like if the Nigerian society, the mm-hmm. Nigerian government and the society, which is made up of Nigerian people, mm-hmm. recognize that, look, whether it's court marriage or traditional marriage is the same like documentation and it to mm-hmm. still go through the same registry mm-hmm. and we'll just recognize that two people agreed to unionize whether that was done by traditionally by bringing a hundred goats and yams yeah. or in the church white though you still put your name down in the registry and it'll be recognized by the nigerian government as a marriage that's let, the thing let me ask you a question when you decide to get married i don't know if you're already married or not no, not yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to have a big wedding? I don't plan to. Okay. Uh, but as a guy, I don't know how much control we have over our weddings, okay. to be honest. Okay. Like, I don't plan to, uh, to be honest. I've always wanted... Uh, so my idea of a wedding mm-hmm. is always like... 10 people each. So 10 people from my side, 10 mm-hmm. people from my wife's side. Mm-hmm. And that will force me to like... No, the so 10 like 20, most... 20 people total or like 20 close... Like 10, 10 close people and then... Friends or something. Ten, ten close people total. Then twelve of us. That's twenty-two people. Mm-hmm. And the priest, twenty-three. Like, <laughs> like, oh, should we do one wedding together? No, I'm uh, no. And the reason why I say that, right, is because I've always wanted to use that. Because when I get married, like, it's a whole different phase of life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, I get into like it's no more like you guys are teenagers and you just have fair weather friends. Yeah. I'll use the opportunity to really sit down and think who are the 10 most important people in my life. As I'm moving to this next phase of my life, these are the people I can depend on. These are the people that are close to me, mm-hmm. uh, whether they be my family or friends I've known for a while. Yeah. That's my ideal marriage. Okay. But like I said, you know, if my wife says she wants something better mm-hmm. destination or bigger or whatever, I'll, I'll let, I'll let her have that. Um, I mean, I asked you yeah. that question because as you're telling me, like, as you're explaining your rationale as to why um, we should have just pick one marriage that you want to do mm-hmm. and let both marriages count the same and then you have the same recognition, the same rights and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't even feel, I feel like there'll be a large demographic of people that wouldn't even want that because they want to experience that extravagant 
traditional wedding and that extravagant white wedding. Like they want to go through the stress of doing both of those weddings. That's in a way, because that's what they grew up seeing, exactly. right? That's what they grew up seeing, and that's what has been normalized mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying it because you know, I I watch, I see like Indian weddings, mm-hmm. and I see uh, what other country, um, like some Middle Eastern countries, mm-hmm. their weddings mm-hmm. or like Scottish weddings, right. like. We have traditional weddings and they don't see the need to do a whole nother wedding. Right. Except maybe you can compress it the same day or whatever. But I'm just saying, it's just my opinion. Yeah, I know. That, I feel um, like as in, as times are progressing, people are finding like new ways to do this marriage thing. Like the whole compressing yeah. in one day, I've seen people do that. Yeah. Um, To cut costs. And then also it's like travel and logistics is just hell. So I'd rather just knock everything out today. I've seen people say, okay, we're going to forgo the traditional and just do like something small in my house where like yeah. the wife's people and the husband's people um, are in the house and, and they're doing the whole, you know, exchanging of, you know, whatever. Yeah. There's people that, like I said, even my parents, they did, they were traditionally married for a long time. And then I, I don't, maybe I don't know it like as, Exactly as I'm supposed to, but like we not like 14 years later, they now went and did the white, the white whole wedding. white wedding. So that 14 years when they were in America, mm-hmm. I'm, they were living in the same house. I'm pretty sure all the male came as Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. She brings it to the house. So yeah. you know, there's different dynamic. But I see what you're saying. Me that supports you know smaller weddings, I wouldn't mind that. Like if you just had one thing, knock it all out. And one, yeah. you know, I, I mean, time. and it's just your preference, right? I'm yeah. just saying my opinion. Like yeah. if you decide that you want to do two or three weddings, Fact. you know, it's your prerogative. Like go ahead. I'm just saying that. I always wondered. It's just me no, it makes you know, sense. thinking critically. So it's cool that you brought that up. Yeah. So going back to when you were nine, yep. you said you went to Nigeria when you were one and when you were nine. nine yep. uh, so when you went to Nigeria when you were nine, how long did you stay? And how was that interaction with the people? That's like your first major interaction because yes. you were kind of like conscious at yes. nine, right? Yes. Um, okay. I remember, I, I feel like we stayed for a month because I know it was the whole like having to get excused absence from my school and from my brother's school and stuff like, oh, our children are going to, you know, our country. They need an extra like one week or something of school off. Oh, it was during it was, the school year. It was, it was during the school year. Okay. It was in December. Um. And we ended up staying, I think, longer than what the school vacation was. Now, when I went when I was one, when I went when I was nine, this was a situation of we would land in Lagos, you stay one night in Lagos, and you just start going to the east. Mm. So I didn't and, have any... And the east meaning like the eastern parts east, of eastern, Nigeria? Eastern part of Nigeria. Okay, so just for um, context, most people like live in the major cities, yeah. but they are from like maybe a particular village upstate exactly. or like in the eastern part of Nigeria. Exactly. Kind of like the countryside like you have in the US. Thank you. So you land in Lagos at the airport yes. and the next day you move You're, to, moving to the country or the east or the village. The gotcha. And I remember that um, trip and it's like, it's like big, but I remember we took... We took bus from Lagos to Imo State, right? We didn't we didn't fly. Okay, so how long was that? That took it was an overnight bus, so I, let's say between twelve and fourteen hours. And I remember that that bus that night when we were on the bus, I think um, there were armed robbers on the road or something. Okay. There were like armed robbers on the road. I remember that specifically because the bus was like, "Yo, we can't go through, we can't pass through this route or something. We need to go to another route or whatever." I didn't see no I didn't see no armed robbers, but the shots said there were robbers on the road. 
Okay, um, wait. Okay, chill. Okay. For, for, con- for context. <laughs> for context. So there, there is something called like there is a bus industry in Nigeria, right? Yeah. Which is kind of like everywhere, like Greyhound. Facts. I have these luxury buses, which is like Greyhound buses mm-hmm. that move people like from major cities we, I don't to know all if you call parts. It luxury, but... It's like the big buses, yes. like the ones that carry the athletes Charter and buses. whatever. Yeah, like the Greyhound buses, basically. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. carry people from like the major cities to everywhere in Nigeria. Yep. And back in the 90s or uh, in the 30s, in Jessica's case, uh, I'm just joking, back like, <laughs> back like in the 90s or early 2000s, like there were security issues on the roads yes. where robbers would like stay on the roads and waylay buses mm-hmm. and bring all the passengers mm-hmm. out and probably rob the buses. Mm-hmm. And back then we didn't have like, it was like a, Strictly cash-based economy, yep. so not a lot of people I had cards and things like no that. Money. So people used to travel with a lot of money because they want to take money that will sustain them over the two weeks over or three weeks. weeks or whatever time. So you guys experienced that, and yes. you were nine. It was nine. Okay, so what do you remember from that experience? So all I remember is like I was on the bus. It was night, and then I'm like I wake up in the middle of the night, and the buses just were like on standstill for a very long time, right? Because like I said, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's either we had to take a different route or maybe they warned them ahead that, oh, there's rob- ahead of, like there's armed robbers ahead. You guys need to chill. So we just didn't move for a long time. And then I remember like a rest stop. So maybe either we went and diverted to a rest stop for a long time or something. I don't remember, but I remember a rest stop. I remember having to come out and ask me where's the bathroom. And then they were going to be like, the bathroom is anywhere you see to go to the bathroom. I was like, huh? What are you talking about? I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> it was an experience, man. Um, And, you know, what was crazy was like, my parents, because they were, my parents were coming back for their wedding, we had like 20 suits, we had like 20 pieces of luggage. Like, mm-hmm. it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a joke. Mm-hmm. Mind you, all my siblings were there. So, and we're all young. So imagine me being nine. My brothers are all two, two years apart. So we're nine, seven, five, five and three. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a, it was like, I think, my, to my parents, it's just like, this is not how we were expecting to bring... This is the first time we were bringing our whole family back tonight. It's not like... I know when I, I went with my dad, then my... Not my immediate junior brother, the one after he went with my mom. Like, we've always gone, like, maybe one child, one parent type of thing. This Individual. is for all as a unit. So They're making you guys test the waters. Yeah, we were testing the water. <laughs> I went to boarding school. Don't worry. I think they were doing testing waters from that time. We'll gotcha. get there. We'll get there. But, yeah, it was a very, it was a very weird ordeal. Do, do I feel like I felt like a traumatic experience? I don't know. I remember the experience, but, like, it's not like it ever scared me. I've been on buses from Lagos to State multiple times since then. I go by myself. Like, I remember there was one time I was driving with my parents, like, I want to take the bus back to Lagos. I was in the East. I was in Emo State for Christmas. Um, my mom how, had, how old were you then? I was, this is, like, this is, like, my end, what, 2016. So, okay. maybe, like, three years ago. Okay, so we are like, 37. Exactly, I was 37. Gotcha. 37. Okay. I begged them, I was like, yo. I'm trying to get on the nerves, you know. No, you know, see, <laughs> see, you after, after getting trained in, talk, nobody can get on my nerves. Gotcha, okay. Um, but yeah, it was it was, it was was something I always remember, but it didn't really deter me from like saying, oh, I'm never coming to Nigeria, or, oh, I'm scared of Nigeria. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you were nine, and yep. you guys stayed there for like a month? And Yeah, a month. And there was one experience, so you came back to the U.S., mm-hmm. and you continued your life in... Woodbridge. Um, oh, Woodbridge, yeah. sorry. And there's something I want to, like, talk about. Yeah. Now, I listen to, to prepare for this interview, like, I kind of, like, listen to some old podcasts you have been on, mm-hmm. and you actually said something about reverse racism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that you're living in, or you were born and grew up in Virginia, mm-hmm. but you mentioned at a point that the first set of people that you experienced discrimination from were black people. Yes. 
Tell me about that experience. All right. Um, so my my formative years, first grade through third, from kindergarten, like daycare up until second grade, I went to Christian like schools. There's a translation from primary one to primary. Exactly. I'm you, no, you're doing the <laughs> Um, I'm in America, so I'm saying first grade. Yeah. Um, I was in Christian or Catholic schools. I would be like the only uh, black, per- like either one, very few black people in my class, right? Wow, and it was a Christian school, so conservative. Yeah, very conservative. Okay. Right. Um, third grade, I transitioned from private Christian, you know, elementary school to public school, right? I think it was due to financial, like finances or something. So I now go to free public school in, you know, Woodbridge, Virginia. So I come to this school, right? And it's, it was culture shock for me. I've experienced a lot of culture shocks in my life. Culture shock. It was culture shock because I'm okay. coming from a conservative. You wear a uniform every day. You are the only black person, or like there's two black people in your class. Most of your friends are white. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there were other one or two other minorities, like you know the occasional Middle Eastern person or like you know Hispanic person, but a majority white, you know, people. Yeah. So you could, I guess, you know that ignorant term like Oreo. Where someone is like black on the outside and acts white, oh, I'm pretty sure that. people classified me as that for yeah. you know when I was growing up. So I go to public school, and this is where I see diver- Like this is where I see diversity, bro. This is more than five people in my class are black. Preach, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is I see black teachers because when, in my in my uh, Christian schools, I didn't really see black teachers. In my preschool, even though I had, like slash daycare, there was diversity, but that doesn't count because it weren't really it wasn't really education that time. It was just like taking care of your child while your parents are at work or you know, whatever. So I come to public free public school, elementary school in Woodbridge, and you know, I'm meeting black people and it's just a very different experience. And it was cool because it was like, yo, I see people like myself, but it's not like I was thinking, oh, obviously you see I, I was seeing color, right? But the color wasn't necessarily, I won't say it wasn't affecting me, but like I said, I was living, working, dealing with majority white people. So I come to this school, I see black people, I'm excited, like, yo, these are, you know, my friends. One of them was even African. Mm-hmm. And the, like, the type of jokes I would, like, they would start, you know, cracking jokes up at me and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't understand, like, why? Where's this, where's this coming from? I'm just thinking, okay, this is how, you know, young people behave in, you know, like, public Like school. your mama jokes or? Like, not even that. I mean, I've heard those as well. Like, I've heard those as well. But, like, specific things about me being African. The booty scratcher jokes? I've heard the booty, African booty scratcher. Mm-hmm. Um, people, okay, this doesn't offend me now. I remember, okay, my last name is Chibweze, right? So, obviously, back then it was like, oh, Africans speak click language, right? So, like, all that right, stuff, like right? Like Trevor Noah. Exactly. So, I remember they would, so like, sad. change my name. Like, there was this one guy. Um, who would like he would click like instead of saying cheap ways that he would be clicking like soon she shopping. I can't even explain how he did it, Sha, but he would And he was black. He was black. He okay. was black. Ironically enough, I actually had a crush on this guy too. Okay. So this is somebody who's like making fun of my name and then I'm like, Oh well he's a black guy who like he's a black young, you know, man. This is the first time I'm seeing a black young guy and it's like, Oh, he's cute or whatever. So I'm in elementary school, someone's making fun this guy's making fun of me mm. and I'm still like infatuated by, you know, whatever. So this was happening to me while I was in school. Now, I was an overachiever in elementary school. I won't accredit it to, I mean, I guess I can accredit it to like African culture, but I think I'm also accredited to the fact that my Catholic primary, like the school I came from was super, super strict. 
Then gotcha. added to your parents saying, like, don't come here with no bees. Gotcha. So I was overachieving. Gotcha. So when I was in fifth grade, right? So this is third grade. This is fourth grade. This is fifth grade. I finally had a black teacher. I was my first black teacher. I performed so well in class. My teacher would make me, like, teach lessons sometimes. Wow. Like, in the class, right? Hmm. That did not help my me either. My blood is strong. It was strong at the time. Now you can't <laughs> tell me you can't go back to school. But my Nigerian blood was too strong at the time. People would make fun of me off that again. So it's like you're being made fun of because you're an African. Then you're overachieving African. Then you're, you know, someone who I used to be super, super proper. Like these are kids that are super, you know, educated and all that stuff. So I have all these odds against me in this public school. Meanwhile, I'm trying to be like, yo, I want to be friends with these people that look like me. But I was still their friends. As they're making fun of me, I'm still their friend because I'm like, yo, these are, you know, these are my, these are my people. Like they look like me. I want to, I want to relate with them. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's where I experienced my first bout. And it entered into middle school too. Okay. So let me get this straight. Mm -hmm. You came from some kind of privilege economically. Yeah. At least the first part of your life. Because you guys stayed in the suburb. You went to private school. Yeah. Middle class, middle class family. Oh yeah. Like middle class family. Mm -hmm. You were African, so mm -hmm. you are different in that regard. Yes. And you were American, so you couldn't fit in, like, in the African context proper. Facts. So where exactly did well, you fit you in? Because you were, like, and you were, like, intelligent, so you couldn't, like, hang with the cool kids in yes. quotes. At that time, yes. At that time. Yeah. Um, so what did you do? Like, did you have any friends at all? Like, did you take it up with your parents? What did your parents say? And did it ever go too far, like beyond, um, let me say, name calling or anything like that? Did you ever experience I something? I remember one specific example. I was in middle school. I was in sixth grade. So primary, I wouldn't even call that primary six. I feel like that's the equivalent of GS1. Okay. Even though GS1 technically is seventh grade, because you do primary one to six, then GS1. But this was sixth grade. So beginning of junior, secondary, or middle school here, right? Okay. Somebody was making fun of my hair. Like, a black girl was making fun of my hair. And I remember, like, she was doing it, and then her enablers, all her other fellow black friends were, like, pulling her to make fun of my hair. Okay. I remember I went home, and I told my mom. And she was also African-American. She was African-American. Okay. I went back and told my mom, and, like, the advice my mom gave me wasn't really helpful. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't helpful. Like, I'll give her an A for effort, but it wasn't helpful. I think she was just like, you know, you have to get over it. Like, you have to suck yeah. it up. Which is not wrong, this right? It's a typical Nigerian it's a parent. It's typical Nigerian parent response. And the thing that I, I, for a very long time, right, I've also talked about this in the pod, I had to end up forgiving my parents because I think I had a little bit of resentment for, with them. Really? Yeah, because you're telling me, get over it, you know, and you, like you said, that's a Nigerian response, but you didn't raise me in Nigeria. You didn't raise me in a place where I would have tough love and like, some of you just say, oh yeah, stand up. Dust off shouldn't be going. Yeah, the accent's coming you out. You know, it's coming out. Like, <laughs> I, I, I like that. Because I was, I, w I had a lot of struggle, like, internal conflicts growing up. Because gotcha. it's just like, yo, I want I want the nurturing. Like, I see my white friends, their parents are like, you know, kissing their scrape on their leg when, gotcha. they, when they scrape their leg on the sidewalk and they put in Band-Aid. Yeah. You know, their parents are coming and doing pizza party for them in class. And, like, my parents are like, yo, did you bring beat? You can't go to the mall. You didn't bring, if you brought, let me see your report card. If it doesn't make sense, you're not, don't ask me for anything. Oh, so, yeah, this thing happened and I told my mom and then my mom just gave me a really, I'm not faulting her, but like yeah. she gave me a very dismissive answer. I was like, that didn't really help. Like I still have to go back to school and deal with these people. I mean, but in the in defense of Mrs. Uh, Chibwezi, I mm -hmm. mean, she grew up in Nigeria. Exactly. So she probably looked at it like compared to where she's coming from, yeah. we are having it pretty good. Yeah. Um, because compared to people who grew up in Nigeria, maybe during the Civil War, yeah. or people who lived in parts of Nigeria that were prone to terrorism, yeah. 
uh, even people that came in from other countries, like maybe Lebanese mm-hmm, immigrants, mm-hmm. Cuban immigrants, yeah. uh, Soviet Union immigrants, like people who had to flee some kind of real, like life-threatening mm-hmm. stuff uh, so to come. Then why are you now here? crying that, you know, we escaped bombs and wars yeah. to come here and yeah. you're complaining that people are calling you names. Like, like, suck it up. Like, she might not, like, necessarily have understood. So now, right, as a full-fledged adult, I understand that. Mm. At 12 years old, I'm not understanding that. At 12 years old, you are resentful. In my mind, because it's just like, it's like, okay. Because I always had this issue where the thing, okay, so I, I went, we'll get to it, but I went to boarding. I ended up, I finished, did my part, uh, sixth grade, and I went to boarding school. Mm. Now, my issue that I have with like Nigerian parents, and the thing is, as my set has grown up and become adults, our younger siblings are getting, they're having it more lenient now than what we had. You say that you want to be Nigeria mm. to come to America. To, you want a better life for your kids, right? You yeah. want a better life. You want a better life. No problem. Then when you bore your when you bury your kids in America and they're full fledged Americans because yeah. they're born in this country, yeah. then you get mad at them when they don't like they they can't take your harsh you know your harsh uh, discipline or like your tough love because we don't we're not exposed to that, bro. You can talk to me anyhow in, in the house. I go to my school and then my teachers, you know, talking to me softly, softly. or, yeah. you know, tending to my, you know, emotions or like caring about my feelings and stuff. Yeah. And then I go home and then I'm crying. Oh yeah, stop crying. Why are you crying? Like, why are you crying? there's food in the kitchen. Why are you crying? Yeah. Like I, there's a roof over your head. We, we give you, we provide for you. Why are you crying? It's, it's, it's internal battle. But looking back, like, do you appreciate some of those lessons? Cause it's kind of like, Making you, I was listening to like Jay Morrison, who's mm-hmm. like a real estate person mm-hmm. here in the US, and mm-hmm. he was like someone who sold drugs in the hood, like mm-hmm. in the there's not like stereotypic in any way, but he sold drugs like in the black community, like in the hood. Yeah. And he was a drug dealer and he went to prison. And when he came out of prison, he was like, Look, it's not like selling drugs and you know, dealing with all these drug dealers and people yeah. after my life. I'm just coming out of prison. Why not just go into real estate and flip real estate? Mm-hmm. And when he went into real estate, he was saying that being a drug dealer, his phone had to be on 247. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He never took time off. Like right. he was always on the corner right. till about 2 a.m. in the right. morning because crackheads come to like buy drugs. And when he came, like his first week in real estate, like people were closing. At 5 p.m. And I was like, what the hell? And he was like, look, I'm going to double my house. So he opened his office to like midnight or mm-hmm. something. Like that. You know, coming from that so-called training, mm-hmm. like it made him tougher in this world. Mm-hmm. So why I'm, asking, why I'm saying that, like looking back, do you take those um, kind of like home, like they call it in Nigeria, home training, home training mm-hmm. from your parents as making you tougher like right now or, you know, in the later parts of your life? Yes and no. Okay. I'm happy at the fact that they exposed me to Nigerian culture because those were the seeds that they planted from young mm-hmm. that have now made today possible. Okay. If they didn't like a lot of my friends when I told them I was moving back to Nigeria, right, right after I graduated, they were like, For what? Like my diaspora friends that were born and raised like me in um America, but maybe they didn't go back to Nigeria as many times as I did, or their parents like planted a negative perception of Nigeria in their head, right? Yeah. So I will, I will 100% appreciate my parents now for that, you know, exposing exposing me to the culture, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if that means I had to experience the good parts and the bad parts, okay, I can group it all together and say, I don't regret anything because last, last, I don't, no matter what crazy thing happens in my life, I, and because I'm, I'm Christian, right? And I believe like everything happens for a reason. I, I, I now take that now and I can appreciate it now. In the thick of it, 
Has it caused some issues that I feel like I still deal with now? Yes. I mean, every Nigerian child has PTSD, I'll tell exactly. you that. Like, whenever you see a slipper on the shelf, you'll be like, you know, you it'll flash back. You know? <laughs> it'll flash back to when they were using slippers to, to beat you. And right. Really. So, you know, <laughs> honestly, like, as, as joke as you're joking, is the truth. It's true. And the thing it's is, there's, there's two types of us. There's, people, there's those of us that are aware and honest, and we don't deceive ourselves. We know we have PTSD. And then there's the ones that's like, that's not, that's not trauma. That's just, you know, suck it up. Like, that, that's what made you who you are today. You can say that and still acknowledge the fact that it has harmed a lot of us. Yeah, true, true. I mean, it is trauma, like, you know, to each his own. Um, you can't tell people what to feel or how yeah, to think. Uh, you know, but, hey, there are definitely lessons. Uh, but, you know, I've, you know, tried to confront uh, one or two, both my parents, like, at one mm-hmm. point or the other for things. But there's something my mother said a few years ago that I'll never forget. She was like, dude, when you have kids, you understand. So th- there's no... I guess that there's no way to, because I've seen situations also where like parents are very like gentle with their kids. Mm-hmm. They bring them up, they pay for them to get into college, mm-hmm. um, up, you know, what's the CIA operation, mm-hmm. varsity blues or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. They play, and these kids grow up and like kind of like squander their inheritance and end, end up like in a very bad place. And they in turn still blame their parents. So like, you can't have it good. Like if I bring you up strict, it's like, no, and if I bring you up pampered, it's like no. So what? Where is that balance? I guess the balance is what your parents did, right? You know, letting you up, grow up in Woodbridge for a while mm-hmm. and throwing you off to boarding school. Okay, tell me about boarding school. Holy cow! And, and right. before you start, mm-hmm. like the, the the stereotype is whenever you're behaving badly. Mm-hmm. You, you have, a, at least for Nigerians, mm-hmm. well, imagine for most immigrant families, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure what the educational system is like in like other countries, mm-hmm. but in, in Nigerian family, if you were born here and your parents are Nigerians who are immigrants and you're behaving badly and you're behaving spoiled and you're behaving rotten, they ship you up to a Nigerian boarding right. school for four years right. to, so to, we call it to make your brain reset mm-hmm. a little bit. So tell me about that experience. How, were they... Did they deceive you? Because I have a friend who grew up in Canada at that mm-hmm. point, and they like kind of like deceived they him that oh, we're just going for a trip, and they like took his passport and left him with an uncle. It That's took him like nine years to forgive his father, to be honest. But now, you no, know, he stayed in Nigeria for a while. I think he stayed in Nigeria all through secondary school. Wow. But now, like it has made him like very street savvy and yeah. stuff, so like he yeah. can't survive anywhere. But how was it for you? Tell okay. me your story. So <laughs> when I tell you that that stereotype is. One million degrees left from from my reality. It wasn't because I was bad. My own was that I was too American. My parents told me you're too American. What's what does that? that mean? Thank you. So basically, it's oh you don't know your culture like that. Oh. You can't pronounce. You don't know how to, you don't know how to speak your language. Oh, okay. You don't know how to do this. And I'm looking at them like, but whose fault is that? How how are you faulting me for something that like you I obviously said that in your mind? I said oh no no no. I respect myself small. Gotcha. Um so. And they were like, yeah, after sixth grade, they were like, yo, you need to learn your culture. We want you to uh, experience your culture in a deeper um, in a deeper way. So you're going to go to boarding school. So now I don't really, I didn't have any, maybe like my god brother. I don't know if he went to boarding school before me. I don't remember. I didn't really have anybody to look up to to be like, this is an example of a child that went to boarding school. Cause, not because they were bad, but just because to go and learn their culture. I didn't have anyone to look up to. So in my brain, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really know what I'm expecting. Okay. So, mind you, all, all of my siblings, myself and my brothers, have gone to boarding school. 
Um, so the first set was me and my. Are you the first child? I'm the first child. Gotcha. So me and my immediate junior brother went first, and then my youngest two not went. Oh, so you guys went together? We went in batches, but there was a time when all four of us were in Nigeria. Okay. But then me and my immediate junior came back first, and then my other two not came after. How old were you? Um, I went from 12 to 14. Three years. Yeah. So okay. I wasn't. Well, I wasn't bad. I wasn't. I didn't steal my mother's car. I didn't go run up for credit cards. <laughs> you you I went 12. For wasn't fighting. <laughs> but women sending to me. I mean, I would talk back to my parents, but it's not like the. The Dr. Phil one, where it's like you have to go on Mori and they're telling me outside. You, I, like I was not on one that Nigerian level. uncle reset that behavior. Bro, exactly. <laughs> I was not on that level. So Got I you. go to a boarding school. Now, another thing is people would assume that because, well, okay, well, if you're, if you're going because you're like misbehaving, I don't know what like level of or luxury of boarding school they'll take you to. I was put inside like a, I don't want to call this school bush, right? But I was put into a like, there was nothing posh. There was nothing ajibota. There was nothing privileged about the school I went to. I went to a school where it's like you're suffering. You're like everybody's on the same level. Everybody just pay your school fees at the time and come there. And it's like we're cutting. They don't care who you are. They don't care who you are. Granted, there were some people there that I, I'm sure they were notable people. It was a school that was in the east, so it was all Igbo people. I didn't go to like a, a school in Lagos where there would probably be different tribes and stuff. Fully Igbo. Yeah. Um. This is like. For punishment is to go and lie inside the gutter. For punishment is to take, you know, cut last and be cutting the headmaster's grass. That sounds normal. You know, cow whip to whip you. Like, it wasn't... Yeah. I went from, you know, suburban Virginia to, to Abia State. It where was a shocker. Yeah. It was a shocker. Yeah. Um, so the first year I went, both my parents were still living in America, right? I was under the care of my uncle... Oh, so they were, they were okay. So they're living. So they literally shipped you. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, we're oh, gonna okay. come and stay with our children. They oh, okay. they they put it. They took us there, right? My mom brought me and my brother, and it was a whole night, like cutting off my hair, wearing uniform. You know, it was a Catholic one. It was a Catholic school. It was a Catholic missionary boarding school run by Reverend brothers and sisters. Oh, okay. We were going to church two times a day. We had Typical. morning, afternoon, night prep. We were praying Typical. rosary five times. A day. And I'm looking at this thing like, <laughs> what is, I don't understand how this supposed to make me know my culture. I really don't. Like, I really don't understand. Gotcha. But I don't regret that at all. In the in the midst of it, it was just, it was gross. It was horrible. First year, they played me. There's nothing that they didn't steal. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that people weren't lying on my name. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that they weren't, I was, you know, getting sick. All that stuff happened. Gotcha. Once I got over that hurdle, yo, the second year was fire. I was like, y'all ready to stay here till... You became king of boys. What do you talk about? I was, I was probably <laughs> on track to becoming like the senior prefect of my school or something, but... But, but you stayed there for just two years. So. Yeah, so... Wait, from what... From Did you... You didn't start from JS when you were 12. Yeah, I started from JS... I did JS 2, JS 3. Okay. Gotcha. Did my YAC. But then I left to come back to work. Oh, you mean junior way? Junior way. Okay, okay. So I was on, like, slate to enter into senior secondary, mm-hmm. become a prefect. Like, the way I was, my trajectory was, like, I was probably going to become, like, either senior prefect or W senior prefect. Like, I was ready. I was like, all the people that wickeded me when I was in jest, when I wicked their siblings. Gotcha. Like, all that stuff. But then my parents were like, no, nah, you need to come back. Okay. Would, would you have loved to stay? I would have loved to stay. Really? It was. It's annoying when your parents, like, Okay, we ship you, and then we choose when you come choose, back. Yeah. I'm like, yo, I'm finally enjoying myself. I fi- I'm finally, I finally feel like I'm a monk. Yeah. Even I was always the Americana, but it's like, oh, this one is the American girl that used to work hard. Like, you won't know she's from America the way how hard she works. I've always gotcha. been like a hard hustler and like worker, and I've always been someone that's like, yo, I want to be able to serve. Like, I want to have create value anywhere I go. So when I first came, they thought like I was one. I like 
this one would just be crying every day or she won't do anything. Yo, I yeah. was working harder than people that were born and raised in Nigeria in that school. So I got a lot of favor from like senior prefects. Okay. Um, I found a lot of favor in teachers, all that stuff. So I, I loved it. And, what, and is that still part of your story today? Like working hard, that had, does that, did that have any effect that experience that two years in Abia so, States? Yeah. In your work ethic? Or I would assume. The way you approach, approach things. Like I would today? definitely assume so. Okay. If not for that, um, experience, I don't think I'll even survive this Lagos I'm in now. Gotcha. Honestly. Um, and then on top of that, when I came back to America, like I was always a good student anyway. But then when I came back to America and I found out how lax the education system is here mm. compared to the rigorous, I'm talking about like, yeah. eight, you have to do eight subjects and yeah. you don't even do the whole eight subjects in one day. You think like uh, they uh, layer it, right? So you'll yeah. do like maybe computer science twice a week. Yeah. Like this one twice a week. You're going to Nigeria where it's 14 subjects. Yeah. They're pushing nine subjects a day. You're going after doing school, you're still going to prep. Then the whole first position, second, we didn't used to do that in public school in America. Oh, so everyone gets a medal, right? Yeah, everybody, you know, everybody gets a pat on the back. Good job. Gotcha. I'm in Nigeria and we're here. People are stealing kerosene oil to read in the night mm-hmm. so that when we go to exam hall, they will, they will make sure they get first, you know, first, at least first 50th position so you can get into A class. Gotcha. I remember from JS2 to JS3, I got like 19th. I think it was like 19th overall my whole, in the whole JS2. Two or something, and I entered JS3A. Yeah. It was like a sense of privilege. Like, yeah, I didn't waste my parents' money. Like, I'm still, I'm still in the top class. I'm still in the top class. So it was super competitive. So when I come back to America for high school, yeah. and everybody just lags, everybody's talking to the teacher anyhow, people yeah. cannot even do common assignment. I'm like, what is this? This, gotcha. is, this, is, this is bad. I mean, educationally, I mean, the U.S. hasn't really been... And I was talking about this with Kimora. Kimora yeah. is uh, a girl from Hawaii who mm-hmm. grew up who went to boarding school in London, mm-hmm. in, in Britain. And the U.S. educational system, when we're talking about the undergraduate like educational yeah. system, high, yeah. it's always like a joke. Like education starts from the master's level as yeah, far as I'm concerned. And the rankings are always there every year, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, France, Germany, a whole bunch of schools mm-hmm. are the top, like, educationally. Yeah. But I think the U.S. is not really a research-based economy. They don't really care that much. It's it's a skill-based economy. So they don't mm-hmm. really, like, want to research and, like, dive deep. We can give, like, immigrants green cards for that, right? Scientists mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm-hmm. What we need are, like, the skills. What right. can we do right. to, like, grow this economy? Right. What can we do exactly? That's why all the industries coming from the cotton industry to, like, the oil industry mm-hmm. to the technology industry everything is like skill based like what can you do what can you do they don't really live for research in my opinion mm-hmm. as compared to like the british or other educational system that's always like oh it has to be research based what are you giving back to Thanks. humanity that kind of thing now that you say this it's making me remember how when i was younger i was always in accelerated classes mm-hmm. i was never like if i compare the normal classes i was in to like the accelerated it was a stark difference like gotcha. annotating books analyzing books, writing, you know, thesis and all that stuff. I know once you're an undergrad, everyone does that, but I could, I, I could see how my Nigerian education plus my mother putting me like accelerated classes all the time yeah. really paved the way for me to like, be like, okay, when I now enter university, right, even though classes were lax, I was still going above and beyond to like try to excel or like do my due diligence. 
then I started hitting college, and then um, I wasn't as that Nigerian blood wasn't as. Um, oh, they got. I mean, I still got, they got to her. They got to you me. joined bad gang. A little bit, you know, <laughs> a little bit. But I mean, I still graduated my over 3.0, and you know, from there I bounced in Nigeria. I said, I'm not doing this here. I'm not going to. Gotcha. I'm not doing my master's, bro. Or if I'm doing it, I need to do it on my own terms. I ran to Nigeria for NYC. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So at what point between that whole, between like coming back to the US, mm-hmm. well, at what point did you meet Boni and undergraduate degree and all that stuff? Okay. So I did boarding school, then came back, did my whole four years of um, high school. Okay. Then did entered university. Like I said, I went to George Mason. Okay. I met Moni when I was either a senior in high school. Oh, wow. Or, high school. I'm pretty sure I was a senior, I was a senior in high school. But the thing about, I don't know if I'm casting me or money, but we used to party, like, with older people. Like, you know how in America, you have to be 18 or 21 to enter the club? Like, yeah. we were both, I, I've ent- I entered the club way below the 18, you know, whatever. Mm, so fake I think, IDs? You know, fake ID, or you just know people. Allegedly. Or, you know, allegedly. Allegedly. I'm not going politics, but allegedly. Gotcha. Um, and I think I met her for the first time. I feel like it's on social media, but she, she might have to correct me. But then I met her for the first time, like, at a party in Maryland. Gotcha. And gotcha. then I was like, oh, that's the, you know, we hold Twitter, you know, cute, you know, are you cute? Are you cute? Things like that. Um, I had went to, you. This is, this is jumping around. I went to Uganda for the first time, like the summer of my high school year, entering to my freshman year. I uh, came back and then I met her again. And then we've just been like friends since that time. Since that time. Yeah. And why I bring that up, because you and Moni, you have a very weird di- dynamic, right? It's yeah. like yin and yang. To be honest. So uh, Jess is kind of like PC. Yeah. She's really cool. Yeah. Um, she's really emotional. Yes. Um, that's that's nice. Moni is emotional, but she's good at showing that emotion in a unique way. Let me put it that way like before that she comes for me. I like she's not gonna come for me. Before, before she sends Nara Marley's goons after me. <laughs> nah, no, no, Marley has no idea. All of them they peck on. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of like a yin and yang situation. Money, you know, is out there yeah. and everything. So how you guys like gravitated towards each other and just became like I don't know if it's best friend, but good friends. Good friends, good uh, friends. You know, from there, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Good friends. But touching on, like, your humanitarian work, mm-hmm. I, I want to ask kind of, like, a curious question. Okay. Can you remember the specific time you developed the need to help other people? Because, obviously, I, I don't know if it was before you got into uh, George Mason, but mm-hmm. I would assume it was because you mentioned you went to Uganda when you were in high school. So the summer before my freshman year. Yeah, and choosing to study international relations and non-profit and even to things you did mm-hmm. after you graduated mm-hmm. and, you know, how you got into the whole scene and wanted yeah. to go back. Yeah. How did you discover, or uh, what point in time did you discover the need to help other people? Was there a particular experience? What happened? Okay, so that genuine need to help people, I'm not trying to sound cliche, it has always been there. From a very young age, I used to do volunteer work a lot. Um, half of it was because a lot of my classes required it. The other half was like, as I had to do it because out of obligation, I actually genuinely liked it, so I would see myself doing it. So I'm talking about like volunteering at thrift stores, um, volunteering at, it was mainly like volunteering at like Salvation Army, Red Cross. I remember I volunteered at the, um, like, I guess you would call it like a, a, a donation shop that was owned by my Catholic primary school. Like, I went back there years later to go and, like, volunteer with them. Gotcha. Um, 
I've done how how much of this were required and how much of this was let's say started. like let's say like 50 50 like i said it started off because i had to do something do something then when i started doing it, i was like oh i actually like this is actually cool so i've always been doing it since i was young right gotcha now um i'm sorry translation thrift shop is what okrika shop basically. yes but it's not the same not really uh, yes and no i don't is it this is like is a stigma against okrika in nigeria to a lot of people, right? Yeah. It's a stigma. Mm-hmm. I can go to Ben Down Select. I found some fire pieces at Ben Down Select in gotcha. this island, right? But really? it, I found some fire pieces. Big. Bro. Okay, oh, okay. To me. okay, okay. Yeah, but like I would go and volunteer at like charity shops and stuff. Yeah. Now, if you're talking about what happened that made me like begin to have this burden for Africa, that was the point in my life when I was a little, you know, a little wild child, right? This was when between the time I came from back from boarding school and then my senior year of high school. So let's give it like two or three years where as in, I was a pretty much very conservative, pretty two shoes for the most part. Any bad thing I've probably done in my life was probably in those three, two, three years. Like I had come back from um, boarding school. It, it was weird for me, right? When I say bad thing, what's the worst thing you did that you're comfortable in sharing? I've still, I've, I've shoplifted before. Shoplifted what? Um, okay, what's crazy? The last thing I'll tell you the last thing I shot the last thing I shoplifted, right? I shoplifted I don't even, it was something that was twenty dollars. I just remember it was twenty dollars. What I, was it? Right? Something it was like clothing. edible it was clothing. Or clothing. It was clothing, right? Gotcha. The crazy thing about it, this is where like when I say that I was wild at that time, it was almost like I was looking at my life when I like I was, like um I'm seeing me operating and doing all these wild things, but I'm looking at I'm, it's like an out of body experience because I'll be looking. I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this stuff, right? You were a teenager. Was it peer pressure? I think part of it was peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Another part of it is, okay. So understand this, right? I did formative years up to sixth grade in America. Mm-hmm. I go to Nigeria for two years. I come back. I'm FOB now, right? People look at fresh me as I'm fresh off the boat. Like mm-hmm. all the is like all the hard work I put in the gym. All the years of America, it was shown. Everybody, both people that knew me from before I left. They were looking at me like I was bush. So in my brain, just it was like, two years. Just two years. Like okay. I had an accent. Um, I was dressing like I, I hadn't started dressing cool yet. Like I was a person who had the big backpack with like fifty textbooks inside, mm. being the first in my class, wearing running shoe. Like Did you wear glasses or braces? I wore glasses. I didn't wear braces. Gotcha. Um, so I had to like kind of build up my cool. I'm not saying that that's what I did. But I kind of had to build up my coolness again, type of thing. Okay, like the Nick Cannon thing in, uh, what's the name of that movie? Which one? Ricky, Christina Milian. Um, um, Love, Love Don't Cost a thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to build that up again. So, um, I had, I didn't, like, I was struggling with self-confidence issues because you're coming back from Nigeria where everybody looks the same. Like, they cut all the girls' hair off. Everybody's wearing the same uniform. Everybody's wearing the same, uh, school shoe, white socks, everything. No, no one's looking at, I mean, there's obviously there's still attractive people in that set, but we're, no one is. That's not people's primary focus. Yeah. You come to public high school and looks are everything. What are those? You know what are the exactly? Damn, Daniel, look at your bed. Like things that are about like the appearance are just very important, right? So in my mind, I'm coming. I'm caring about education, and meanwhile, I'm not caring about my, my appearance. And people are like making fun of me. So as I, you know, stayed in high school and being exposed to high school American culture. Yeah. Mind you, I was in a diverse, I was in a very diverse high school. Like there's nothing like predominantly white. It's all types of races in that school. God. So. Okay. <laughs> all types of nationalities, all types of, you know, 
um, ethnicities in the school. Oh, wait, did you say all kind of racist? Yeah, all, no, no, all kind of racist. As a CES. Yeah, it's not racist. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, sorry. I'll try, I'll try. Um, so you're competing with all all these different types of personalities and people, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm feeling self-conscious. I'm not having, I'm having low self-esteem. I'm having all these things. So it was almost like a growth spurt. Like within a year, I, you know, started hanging out with, you know, people and like get, being out there and becoming more social and stuff. I the ran cool tracks. kids. The cool kids. Okay. And there was like this transition, bro, from being like this bush babe to like, yo, so I'm caring about how I look. Okay. I was, I was voted best dressed in my school. Like, hey, look at you. And the thing is, right? As I was really best dressed, this is a segue, I was still in accelerated classes. Like, I still graduated with honors from my school. Yeah. So I was showing that you can still be, like, my parents would be like, you're spending all this time on your look. I said, well, if I'm getting my grades, I don't, why should it matter what I'm studying, like, how my appearance is? So I would offset that, like, okay, I'll get you the grades, but let me, you know, be myself or whatever. Um, but yeah, like, so fast forward. So I started doing, like, things that is so funny, things that maybe before I went to boarding school, I would never do that in my life. I'll never do my life. I will do all of them. I never, the only things I probably, I've, I've never smoked and I've never, I've never been high. I've never been drunk. I've never. You've never been drunk? I've never been drunk. Really? I've never had a shot. I've been drunk twice. Last day of NYSC. And that's, that's, that's deserving, to be honest. La, uh, last day of NYSC, like our room was like on the first floor. So we stored the drinks and the stuff. That one's a lot. In that NYSC room. was stressful. Yeah, so. Um, but yeah, so anyways, I, Remember that day I shoplifted something that was worth twenty dollars. The crazy thing is, I had I had money on me. I was just like, I don't feel like breaking this. I don't feel like breaking this hundred dollar bill. I'm just gonna take this thing. Okay. Right. I take it. Right. I've shoplifted before this time. Yeah. So I think I just got so comfortable with like not getting caught or like you know whatever. I'm like, oh, let me just take this thing. So as I walk out the store, it, it didn't even beep. I walked out the store. Yeah. The what do you call them now? The theft management people came like, excuse me, ma'am. Can yeah. you come with us? We saw you take something. I said, oh my gosh. Okay. So that was my last experience. I was like, yo, this is getting too much. Like I didn't have any Did type of Did you get to your parents? No. This thing got to my parents, right? Let me tell you how it got to my Ooh. parents. When I was in the office and they were like interrogating me, right? I don't know how. This is how no one would tell me that there's not God. Yo, I was 18, right? So once you're 18, you're supposed to get either arrested or like they can choose to like prosecute you or whatever. The guy said, you know what? I feel really nice today. I'm not even going to call police, right? All you got to do is you have to pay a fine. All right? I said, fine. I'll pay the fine. It's fine. I thought that was... The manager, the, right? Yeah, the, the theft minute, whatever you call him. Okay. He said, I have to pay a fine. Yeah. I was like, cool. I'll pay the fine. I'll pay the fine. It's fine. Okay. So... Wait, your parents weren't there? No. They, they there's, Like, you're supposed... If you're under 17, apparently, they're supposed to call your parents. Yeah. If you're above 17, you're an adult. They don't have to call your they'll parents, call but, your like, parents, they so. can arrest you or whatever. Okay. He didn't even say he's going to arrest me. He didn't look at my ID, nothing. Mm. He didn't say, you're going to pay a fine and don't come back to the store again, right? Mm. I said, that's cool. I'll pay the fine. Gotcha. So the fine was, like, $250. I said, that's cool. I'll pay For you. $20 thing, $250. I paid it, right? I thought I was scot-free. They now sent a letter to my house mm. saying... They have you on the books. Not even on the books. I think they were like, yeah, you recently... You recently paid a fine because of theft and da, da, da. Like, they were sending me a receipt. Ooh, that's how your parents... That's how my mom found it. Hey, what's your middle name? Nana. Did they... Did she call out your full name? Not Jessica oh. Nana. She, my what mom, is this my letter? My parents don't do that. But they definitely yell my first name, but they don't do that. So when I got... When the letter came to my house, I think that's when I had, like, a moment of, like, yo, yo this life... Like, you need to get serious with your life. Gotcha. Right? So that is the same year when... Um, so there's this organization that I'm a part of that was called African Christian Fellowship, but I was a passive member. I wasn't really that deep in it. Okay. They used to go to missionary trips. 
Are your parents pastors? No. I, I kind of like, because I'm, I'm yeah. like a lot of Christian references in your yeah. life story. My like, we can't talk about that another day, okay, but so, to be honest, because like, I, yeah. like I'm saying, like, I'm a very big believer of everything happens for a reason. That same year, this, you know, fellowship thing that my mom was a part of, right? Like I said, I was a passive member. She would try to force me to go. I'll go sometimes, but I won't really go like that. Okay. They were advertising uh, that they were going on a mission trip to Uganda, right? Mm-hmm. So in my brain, I was like, I, you know what? I want to go on this thing, but not because of missionary work. I wanted to go because I was like, you know what? This would be a good summer. Okay, so what they do in American school, when you come back from summer vacation, they'll ask, go around the class. So what did you do during the summer? What mm-hmm. did you do for your summer? Yeah. So I was like, yo, if I go to Uganda yeah. and I come back, my first, my freshman year of college, they asked me what did I do for summer. I'll be like, yeah, I traveled on yeah, so international. You're, you're doing it for clouds. Selfish basically. for clouds. Okay. For selfish reasons, right? Okay. But God had bigger plans because when I went there, okay, I experienced way more than I thought, way more than I bargained for. And that's when I was like, that's when you can say like I got serious with God. Mm. You can also say that if I even explain the moment. So there was a night that um, my uncle, who was a very integral part in me, like my life, like, you know, just becoming three, 180 degree shift, right? Yeah. Um, he was, you know, talking to me about certain things or whatever. And I think I told him, I was like, yeah, I think I'm tired of the life that I'm living or whatever. And like, he prayed with me or whatever. And then I was like, okay, cool. I felt great. The next day, we were supposed to go do our medical missions for this Uganda trip that I used to go on. Yeah. And it was so crazy. I came off the bus. I was, we'll use the bus from the hotel to go to the mission ground. I came off the bus, and as I came off the bus, all these kids ran to the bus. Like, they ran to the door of the bus I was coming out. And I had, like, mind you, the, the week prior, I would not let any kid touch me. Like, you're too dirty. Don't touch me. I didn't come here for that, right? Mm-hmm. Second week, these kids, I don't care. They had ringworm. They had all types of stuff. They were running to me. I was carrying them. I was like, yo, I had this very deep burden for these kids. And I said, I need, I, like, God, I need to do something for these kids. I don't know what it is, but I need to do something. That's what sparked my um, humanitarian. That's what sparked it. That when I got off the bus that day and I saw those kids. That's how I formed. I don't know if you um, if you know about this, but I started this public health um, initiative where like I would teach Ugandan children hygiene. Like I went, I would go on. I've been on Ugandan missions with this uh, fellowship for five years straight. Gotcha. Then uh, 2015 was the last time I went. That's the next year I went to do NYC because I thought it was going to be oh, yeah. charity work, like what I did on the biggest scale. Yeah, yeah, and that's the story, right? So you, you, yeah. you went to like East Africa yeah. and you were doing all this humanitarian work, yeah. but something you yearned to do the same thing in West Africa, particularly in Nigeria. I'm not going to lie, I didn't yearn. It really? Happened, after my third year of doing missionary work in Uganda and humanitarian work in Uganda, I was getting like awards. Like I was, I was getting awards, I was getting recognition. People would come me to come to their school to talk, come to churches to talk and stuff. I was on Facebook. I don't use Facebook no more. I was on Facebook, and there was this one Nigerian man, right, that saw the pictures of what we were doing in Uganda and said, look at you people. You're Nigerians, and you're not even helping your own country. You're there giving your resources to another man's country. Wait, one Facebook comment changed your perspective? Bro, but at the time when I saw it, I was like, you need to get out of here. Like, who the hell are you? Like, okay. how dare you say something like that? But I think that now, like, I think that contributed to when I started to get a burden for Nigeria. I'm like, well, if I'm doing this stuff in Uganda, like, why don't I do it in my own, you know, my own country? Yeah. Now, I went on a trip. I saw if I'm jumping all this stuff together. I went on a summer Christmas vacation to Nigeria another time, right? This is when I was a sophomore in college. So I had done maybe like either one or two trips to Uganda already. Okay. I was a sophomore in college. I went to go visit my dad in, in Nigeria because my father lives in Nigeria. 
Okay. I still, I still, this is when there was like oil subsidy crisis. Wait, your dad lives in Nigeria right now or he lives, then? He lives in Nigeria right now. He's lived in Nigeria for the past 12 years. Really? He came, you know the year when I said, I did two, uh, the time I said I did two years in boarding school? Yeah. The first year, none of my parents were there. The second year, that's when my dad moved back. Where does he live? Lagos? He or? Must, he can, my dad would never live in Lagos. He okay. lives in Lagos. Okay. okay. He, used to, he used to run, he used to own a poultry farm. Okay. So basically... Um, I spent half of the weeks in Imo State, and this was the first time in my life where I was going to spend some of the time in Lagos. I told my parents, yo, I want to see how Lagos is. Mm. Now, they put me with one of my uncles. Oh, that's when you ran away, That's right? when I ran away. Gotcha. So, when I, so, before I went to Lagos, right, I was in Imo State, and there was oil, you know, I think, either, I forgot, was like, the, the country went on their strikers. I don't know, but that oil subsidy thing was happening. I think this was like 2012, 2014. You mean the foil subsidy thing with Jonathan? I think uh, so. It, it, was, it wasn't. It wasn't twenty fourteen. No, no twenty twelve. Sorry, twenty twelve. Yeah, that, that was when the David O song peaked on the charts exactly. because of uh, the stay at home thing. Yeah. So, um, because nobody was going to work, nobody was doing anything. Mm-hmm. Like my father owns like an apartment complex, and he lives in one of the flats. Right? He's a landlord, but he lives in one of the apartments. So he told me, you know, you need to, you need to, you need to hang out with you know the neighbors in the complex. Except for in Emo State. In Emo State, I'm like, okay. I don't understand. I'm like, okay, whatever, I'm bored. Nothing else is happening here. There's no lights. There's no nothing. Mm. So I go and talk to my dad's neighbor. Like, see my dad's flat across his, this neighbor's flat. Yeah. And I was talking to them. And they were telling me how hard Nigeria was. And from that, that thing arrested me. Like, after that conversation, I was like, how can this place be my country? And, like, it's easy to say, oh, I'm Nigerian um, in America because I'm not suffering what these people are suffering here. I need to come back and I want to see what they're talking about because I'm just hearing story. Like, you telling me there's no light? There's road, there's no road, people going on, universities going on strike. It was seeming like a dream to me. Because I'm looking at it like, I'm going to university now, this doesn't like strike. I can go to school, I get my degree in two years, I'm on track to graduate. Gotcha. Meanwhile, there's people older than me that have... You are far removed from the experience. Far removed, exactly. Of the average Nigerian, even though you were living in Nigeria at the time. At, well, mm, I wasn't living in Nigeria. If, the two years when I was in boarding school, I don't think it counts. You I was in boarding school. Gotcha. gotcha. So when I was hearing these stories, right, I was visiting at the time. But then I, when I heard these stories, I had not reached Lagos yet. Like I was still, in, still in Imo State. I hear these stories. I get convicted. I'm like, yo, this is really, this is really crazy. Okay. I go to Lagos. What did they say in particular? I don't know. I think it was just the fact that, like, so the person I was talking to was an auntie, such an amazing, like. Auntie and uncle. I think she's like a teacher. Pretty sure she's like a teacher or something. Okay. And they were on strike. Like the school, the university was on strike. Oh, so she wasn't getting paid. She wasn't getting paid. Gotcha. Um, and even when they were working, like they were going to school, they still weren't paying them. Like they were back, there was back pay of like months, right? They were even like, you know, it, obviously if you have, if you have back pay, like my dad is even suffering this because if, if they're back paying your tenants, your tenant cannot pay you your rent. And my dad's not, my dad's a person, he cannot kick nobody out. I'm not, I don't think my dad's ever, like people have owed years of rent. And it's not because my dad has privilege. And I'm telling you, it's not because my dad has so much money. It's like, I'm kicking you out where you about to go to. And I've inherited that from my dad as well. That whole like nature of just being super lenient with people. And maybe that's what, you know, almost made me run mad in Nigeria. Like just the first year I was back, but you know, we gotcha. thank God. Gotcha. Um, but that was when I was like, I need to come back to Nigeria again. Right. So I do the emo stay for three weeks. I go to Lagos. That's when I run away. I find out that Lagos is actually cool. I'm like, I need to come back here. I don't know how I'm coming back. I need to come back. At the time, you hadn't stayed in Lagos for more than a day. It was just I like was a... there for like a week. Okay. Two weeks. And my was already in too much. But you hadn't experienced away. that side of Nigeria, like the I malls had... and the... I just went to Sailor's, like I said. I went to that Sailor's Lounge. We were doing a comedy night. I'm like, how can this... 
this is not Nigeria. There's no way they're doing comedy night in Nigeria. It's not possible. <laughs> so gotcha. by the end of my trip, I was like, yo, I need to come back here. And I was thinking of a plan to come back tonight. That's how I know you used to well, that's when that's when it started brewing. That's when it started. So that's when it started screaming that look, I, I need to come back here by hook or by crook. So exactly. so you now told your parents that you want to come back for NYSC, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a one year is it so mandatory? It's, it's mandatory if you want to work in Nige, but then it depends. Yeah. Like, if you're going to be self-employed, if you're an entrepreneur, honestly, like, I mean, it's not like the Israeli army where they force exactly, you to. Exactly. So it's, it's like a one-year mandatory well, program thing for graduates. Yeah, yeah, in Nigeria, which yeah. is like a cool thing. And people who study abroad, they can come back to do like NYC mm-hmm. for that one year mm-hmm. or whatever. So I feel like I was the only one I met. Because they were, like, I obviously I, I made, I met people that were also foreigners that did NYC, but they were doing it because it's like, Either they were international students, where it's yeah. like, okay, they went to school abroad, they're coming back because oh, they're moving back, um, or they want to run for office or something. Like, their parents are yeah. telling me how to do this. My parents were not telling me how to do it. You did it on your own. I did it on my own. Like, I was the only person that came because, like, yeah, I want to serve. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, like, noticing, like, when, when I think about a lot of, like, important people who did a lot of great stuff in mm-hmm. the world, like uh, Jobs yeah. and... Um, Bob Dylan, even Ellen DeGeneres and this guy that founded Tom's, they kind of like had your the same trajectory and kind of like connecting the dots a little bit because you were a little bit sheltered when you were growing up. Thanks. You were intelligent in school. Mm-hmm. At one point, you kind of like I lost your way, air yeah. quotes, yeah. did some stuff, yeah. experienced the world, but you experience people who give you a conviction to come back. Definitely. So, uh, and that's how all their stories have been, like from Steve Jobs, Ellen, to all these guys. Gave, so, I never gave like that. So there's probably something, you know, hey, there, there is great. definitely something, you know, in the future. Yeah. But the NYSA experience, how was it? And you had this self-conviction that you, you whatever you wanted to do, you were going to do it. Yeah. So. So I come back. Okay, to even come back from NYC was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Right, my parents are like, for what? Like, you were born here. We trained you. Like, people are looking for how to leave Nigeria to come to America and train their kids here so they can get. Why do you want to go back to Nigeria? Why is there? And sorry to cut you short again, but why is there always so most immigrant families? This is not just particular to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Most immigrant families. My my Indian friend told me the same thing. Everybody like your parents shelter you, and they are saying they are bringing you from India, from Nigeria, for wherever to the U.S. for a better life. Mm-hmm. And when you come of age and you're 18 or 20 or 25 or whatever, and you want to go back, they try to discourage you from. They'll discourage you from going back. And then they'll also fault you that you don't know your culture. And exactly. it's like, where was, where was I going to learn my culture at? Like, exactly. Not- like, they, they tell you that, oh, you don't know your culture or whatever. Yeah. But when you grow up and say you want to go back, it's kind of like when you're younger, they want you to be, like, immersed in the culture. When you're older, they want you to just have a stable they life. They want to chill. control how you... They want to control your... Okay, just because we're Nigerian, they, they wanted to control my Nigerian. It's like, okay, we want to control. Yeah, like, we want you to be Nigerian. Where's your Nigerian meter? Do you have like yeah, a like, scale? Yeah, like, you know, about to break. Like, they, they want you to be Nigerian, but then on their own call, they don't want you to be too Nigerian. Or mm. be Nigerian in terms of, yeah, so when we go out, you people know that you know your culture, but then, you know, you need to act like the white man. And I was like, you guys are making me have, this is giving, like, I was having, men, not mental issues, but like, I was having, I've had internal conflicts for my majority of my life, just trying to understand where do I fit in. You're in America. As soon as I came back from boarding school, I've never had a full American accent. Like as much yeah. as I talk American, yeah. it will always people will always be like, "Oh, you're not from here." And as much as I would try to mask it, 
when I, at first when I came back from boarding school, because I'm like, I don't want no one to know I went to boarding school in Nigeria. Till I was like, I can't hide this thing. Like, why am I ashamed of something I can't hide? Yeah. So like, it's like, okay, people are always pointing out you're not American yeah. when you're in America. Yeah. Going to Nigeria is worse. I'd rather people yeah. say I'm not American enough than for people to say I'm not Nigerian enough because yeah. they will rub that thing in your face. Yeah. No matter True. how much you try, they True. will never fully accept you. That's what I feel like I've learned. I mean, preach because it, it's it's the same thing with me, right? I'm kind of like in the middle, growing yeah. up in a middle class, back whatever, and I lived in Abuja for a while. Mm-hmm. Had really rich friends, yeah. like people whose fathers were senators and whatever. And I've also lived like in AGT mm-hmm. and I went to boarding school yeah. and I've lived in like middle Lagos, I've lived in lower Lagos, blah, blah. Yeah. So I have all this mix of people. Exactly. And my, I don't know what name to use, but let's, let's be politically incorrect. My rash friends mm-hmm. will say, look, dude, you're too tush. Wait till they do you, you till they form. Mm-hmm. And my tush friends are like, no, sir, look, I don't understand. Sometimes you just yeah, behave like, too you know, local. Like, what's good? So I'm like, where exactly do you fit in? Exactly, is the thing. Because I don't understand. And like, I feel like, sorry, you know, that we're, I know, I'm, I, I feel like it's definitely been over an hour. So I'm sorry that we're talking so much. No, it's fine. Yeah, but like, even when I did my NYC, right? I was one of the, and I'm not saying this to brag. I promise I'm not. I feel like I was one of the few people that actually like, like it's different if oh you got you got posted to a, a place of primary assignment that you liked right I was posted in a school in Ogun State like they originally they originally deployed me to River State I said I can't stay here because if River I State die, Southern Nigeria yes um okay. Potaka site I was like I if I die I know you guys are not going to tell my parents sorry so I can't stay here right gotcha but I lied and I was uh, I was sick right okay. so then now because I, I I honestly believe because I didn't bribe anybody they would have put me in Lagos if I gave them money but I was like I don't. I'm not going to bribe. Like, I, I don't agree that they now put me in open state. Which borders? But wait, it, international students, and when I say international students, like that people who study, oh, it's not. I feel like I know what you're about to say. They post you automatically to Lagos or Abuja. Yeah. They don't do that anymore. Oh, really? You get it how you get it. I, okay, I'm so you're not 37. Say, okay. I'm, see, I'm not 37. <laughs> okay, okay. We finally okay. know. Okay. Um, Seth's after me. Like, I was seeing them say, like, American people, they were posting them in the North. And I'm not saying that. Segway. When I wanted to do NYC at first, I wanted them to post me in the north. Actually, I was like, I hope they post me. What, what do you mean north? Like north, north, north like Meduguri, like Meduguri, okay. like Borno, like north, Boko right? Haram territory, that kind of thing. Yes, I wanted them to post me in the north. I was like, yeah, that's where the need is. I can do my, you know, international development there. I want to go there. Okay. All the I remember I went to the Nigerian. Did you passport. tell your parents this? I told my parents. Okay. I went to the Nigerian passport office, right? Because I needed to get my passport renewed to come to NYC. And I was telling them in the office, like, yeah, I'm doing I'm, I'm doing my NYC. I hope they post in the north. Everyone looked at me like, this one wants to go and commit suicide. <laughs> and I was looking at them like, what do you mean? Like, if you if everybody's scared of the north, who's going to help the north? Blah, 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 blah. Now, now, I understand, now I understand why they didn't want me to go to the north. But at that time, my yeah. blood was hot. I was like, I want to go inside the war zone, bro. Don't put me in no legal. Don't put me in no anything. I mean, to be fair, it takes a certain level of insanity to think you can cause change. And the people who eventually do are considered to be insane at one point. So, so they was looking at me like, this one, this one's a lost cause. I don't think we, we should even deny her the Nigerian passport. Before she needs passport, going to cure herself somewhere. So what happened is that I ended up going to Rivers and then I redeployed to Open State. And then, um, you know, I was I would be going to Open State with public trans. I'm living in Lagos. I'm going to Open State for my PPA. I was using public transport. I'm talking about like bus, Marwa. Okay, so PPA is primary place of assignment. It's yes. the place where you're assigned to work exactly. during your one year of NYC. Exactly. And public transport is basically jumping buses. Jumping buses, public jumping buses. bike. Yeah. I'm here yes, dragging uh, 
my 15 hour change with the conductor. Like, I'm gonna give him my change with I didn't come, yeah. like, all that stuff. So I'm serving, right? And I will go to my CDS, which is what is community, what is CDS there for you? Um, community something service I, or something? I think it's community development scheme. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we will, I would go to my thing weekly and I will hear, like, I was beginning to network with people there and I, you know, I made friends in my CDS and people were telling me, Omar, I just paid my, I just paid my, the headmaster of my school every month. I maybe, and they'll I, sign for me. They sign for me. I give them provision. They sign. I'm looking at them like, why? Like, why are you doing that? They're like, I'm not doing this thing for, I'm not, I'm not doing NYC because I want to. Were these people like Nigerian, Nigerian, or people? It was came, a mix. It, it was, was a mix. People born and raised in Nigeria, then international students, right? Gotcha. So it was all types of people, and I was looking dumb in my circle. Like, imagine a circle of people gisting, right? Yeah. And everyone saying, "Omo, I ghosted this month. Oh, I uh, they signed for me this month." And I'm yeah. here quite like, "Damn, I go to my." May I have your attention, please? The Silver Spring Library will be closing at 30 minutes at five o'clock. Oh and really? Help so you're telling me I'm talking too much. Check out a go kit. Oh, that we, that's a cool. That's a cool. Nice. should be returned to the third floor customer service desk at this time. Study rooms are now closed. It's Nigerian airport. You want to do what they're saying? Okay. Well, like, hello, the Silver Springs Library. <laughs> I'm just. I'm joking. Do you, you see? Do you see how civilized <laughs> and organized? That, don't don't edit that out from I'm not, I'm not I'm not I'm not I mean we're, we're literally recording in Silver Spring, Maryland in the Bro. public library. So we have like thirty minutes to get out of here basically. So we gonna see we're not gonna be as in depth as I was before, but uh um, I know maybe how long are you gonna be in Silver Spring? We probably need a part two I haven't even touched on the whole tape thing yet. I see because that I, one's a whole different episode. <laughs> I can come we can we can link then like tomorrow if you have to, if you're free. I'm pretty sure my schedule is way more flexible than yours. And maybe not tomorrow, but okay. we can do sometime within do during it. the week. Let's do it. Let's do it. But no, as you were saying, like yeah. yeah. So um, I was I was serving, serving, thinking like I'm you know gonna affect change. I'm gonna affect change. And then the year passed, and I'm like I didn't do anything. But what happened is that I needed for NYC to happen so that I one knew I could live in Lagos, right? Because I not lived I had not lived in Lagos at all before. Mm-hmm. And I survived. I was like, yo, I did this one year. As in, I knew the whole of Lagos with public transport, like the back of my hand. There's no Oshodi. I knew the whole of Oshodi. And, and was that something your family was comfortable with? Or it was just your stubbornness? I didn't, I didn't, tell, I didn't like, tell them. Okay, if I so. saw them, it would be a problem. I used to jump bike. Like, okay. I've. I want to say jumping bike, like, enter the. What is, no what, what's the. I didn't enter, man. Yeah, scooters, uh, Okada. Okada, everything. Basically. So I didn't tell yeah. my parents, because if I told them, they'll be like, no, you, you can come back. Like, what, 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 nobody told you to go down and, like, yeah. trying to kill yourself. So what happened is, even though NYC to me was a scam, it allowed me to know that one. It was, really. It was a scam okay. because I'm, I'm coming from years of heavy duty humanitarian work in Uganda, and then I'm yeah. thinking I'm going to come to Nigeria and do something. I didn't do anything. Like, I was doing yeah, admin work at my school, bro. I couldn't even teach the kids. Uh, teach the kids because of my accent. I mean, to be fair, like, anything managed or operated by the government mm-hmm. is not as effective as the civil society. You, no, so, so you said it, not me. You said it. I said it. <laughs> I mean, so what? They come to come and It's not me that said it to What? That what? NYC is a scam. Everyone knows. Name the DG of NYC. Which is typically, the DG of NYC is typically, my dad was in the military, mm-hmm. right? But he was in the Air Force. Yeah. the DG of... Excuse me. I'm sorry. It's really close to that yeah, yeah. We're, we're packing. We're about to pack up. Well, well I promise. We promise. Thank yes. you very much. One minute. I don't want to come back. No yeah, problem. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, we'll leave that in too. 
<laughs> but basically, yeah, the DG of NYC, which is basically like a colonel or a brigadier general in the yeah. army, yeah. like NYC is just a way for him to go there and chop money for another two years. You know, sir, the, year, the, the week he passed mm-hmm. out from camp in River State, they kidnapped two. Yeah, we heard. Yeah, they yeah, kidnapped two people from my camp. I'm very sorry, but all study rooms are now closed. Yes, sir. Yes. We have to pay Okay. We're doing that now. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. But yeah, we'll definitely pick this up. Yeah. Uh, probably I'll post this as part one and okay. I'll do some recording in the middle of the week and we'll do that as part That's two that. also. Cool. In the meantime, follow Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Uh, it's Culture Class Podcast, all platforms except Twitter. Twitter is Culture Class Pod. And yeah, watch out for Just Just Part 2. Just Just Finesse, we're talking. We out.